0: Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to welcome you to Holy Week, uh, where we celebrate some of those meaningful events that have ever happened in human history. And I want to talk this morning with you from Mark chapter 11, so I'm inviting you to turn there with me, and I want to talk just as you take some time to turn to Mark chapter 11, I want to fill you in on some things that we're doing this week to honor Jesus, who is our King and our Lord, He is our Savior. Uh, We don't want this week to pass us by, we don't want to miss the moment, because it's significant. Events that started unfolding a couple of thousand years ago today, as we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday, we remember some things. Today, we're gonna to remember a triumphal entry. On Thursday evening, I'm inviting all of you to come back to a special evening of worship at seven o'clock where we have what's called a Monday Thursday service. Monday just comes from a Latin word that means a mandate. I give you this mandate that you love one another. Thursday evening will be the evening that we reflect because that's when everything began. It's the time where he gets the disciples. They go up into the upper room. It's when he institutes communion. And that's when he's handed over, he's betrayed, he's denied, he suffers. We want to spend Thursday evening reflecting on the sacrifice of Jesus for us. And so I just want to invite you to come and be a part of that on Thursday at 7 o'clock. It's one of the most powerful services that we do all year. But on Thursday, we always have an eye looking forward to Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of victory. We're going to have two services. One is going to be at 830 The same service will also be happening at 10.50, our normal time, but we just wanted you to be aware that you have some options there. And kind of in the middle, we just want to have a church family time. And so instead of having our uh, Sunday morning Bible study groups, we're actually going to be getting together in the gym and we're going to be having a time where we eat together, uh, just kind of a brunch because we're a family uh, and we want to spend that time together. So there's kind of a sweep of the week and uh, I'm going to give you a challenge as well. Invite somebody, bring somebody with you. Can you do that? Can you do that? All right, awesome. Because we're going to have an amazing week. So let's uh, get to the word this morning. Uh, I invited you to turn to Mark chapter 11, but I'm going to need to lay a little bit of a foundation for you so that you can understand what's happening here because the story actually begins much earlier in scripture. It actually begins in First Kings. In First Kings, you have King David. You probably remember him. He's the boy who defeats giants as a child. He conquers armies as a youth. And at this point in the book of 1 Kings, he's an old man. He's really sick. He's really weak. He's so weak that 1 Kings chapter 1 says he can't even warm himself. And it's clear to everyone that David's life is almost over. The king's life is about to end. So soon they know that that means that there's going to be a new king. One of David's sons, a guy named Adonijah, probably not the son that you walk around and talk about all the time but he had a son named Adonijah. And Adonijah decides that he's going to be the king. And you see this in 1 Kings chapter one. And he does this because he starts to to form strategic relationships. That sounds like something somebody would do, right? In order to become the king, even though I'm not supposed to be the king, I'm gonna need the people to support me to be the king. And so he finds a military leader, a guy named Joab. And he finds a priestly leader a guy named Abiathar and he gets them together so that they can have a private coronation so that a select group of people would recognize him as the new king over God's people. Now for those that pay attention to the word, they already know that that's not what was supposed to happen. In fact, David had already appointed somebody that you're probably a little bit more familiar with, a guy named Solomon to be the next king. We see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. So Adonijah has this power play. And I know in politics, that's so hard to believe, right? Nobody in politics would ever do anything like that. So Adonijah has this power play. It was a hostile takeover. It was murderous threats to people that would be his rivals. His royal brother, Solomon, his queen mother, Bathsheba. But even more, it was a threat to God's promise, more than any of it. Because the Lord had already promised that David would have an enduring royal dynasty. One that would never end. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But it says in 1 Chronicles 22, it's going to happen through Solomon. So there was a way that things were supposed to be. And Adonijah says, no, I think I want to take this on myself. I want to be the king. So David does something. David gives his royal mule. There was one person that said that this was like the ancient version of Air Force One. (laughs) I don't know about that, but it's a mule. But David gives his royal mule to Solomon and he parades him into Jerusalem from the Gion Spring all the way through the Kidron Valley. And that really meant something to those people. Because Solomon was anointed and enthroned in public. It was a triumphant celebration. There is no, se- there's no self-exaltation like Adonijah's party. Remember, Adonijah is like, I need to drum up people. I need to get the support. I need to take what isn't mine and make it my own. And David says it isn't going to work like that. The man that is meant to be the king, following by the edict of God to carry my name on, That would culminate in Jesus will be Solomon Solomon's entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey across the Kidron Valley declares the real king and it announces that the priestly leader Abiathar and all the people that were following him they're fake they're not real it announces that the military leader, a guy named Joab, as you remember, all of his military power, they're not the ones in charge. It was this guy. It was Solomon riding on a donkey. He's the true son of David. Does that story sound familiar to anybody? Let me give you another one. You may not know this, but at the time of Jesus's procession into Jerusalem, a couple of thousand years ago today, He comes riding into Jerusalem on a what? On a donkey. You're right. But in the year 30 AD, Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, a guy named Pontius Pilate, ever heard of him? He leads a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into Jerusalem on the same day that Jesus was coming in to Jerusalem. Can you picture this? Because Pilate's home, it was in a place called Caesarea Maritima. It was about 60 miles away from Jerusalem. It was the Roman capital for Palestine. And from the western side of the city, the opposite side from which Jesus came in, Pontius Pilate leads Roman soldiers on horseback and he leads soldiers on foot. They come piling into Jerusalem from one side. Jesus comes walking into Jerusalem from the other side. I want you to picture this kind of in your mind because each of his soldiers, Pilate's soldiers, they're clad in leather. They have armor on, polished in high gloss. On the centurion's head, you have the helmets. They gleam. It's probably an amazing thing to see as the Roman army starts to process into Jerusalem. It would probably capture your eye. And let's don't kid ourselves. Rome is an empire. They're powerful. At their sides, you can imagine their scabbards. You can see their swords. And in their hands, centurions would carry a spear or if he was an archer, you might see them with the bows and the arrows. And then there's Pilate because Pilate is the governor of a region which not only included Judea, but Samaria, but another place called Idumea. Are y'all keeping all this together so far? Here's what he knew. He knew that it was standard practice for a Roman governor to be in that territory for any religious celebration. He knew that. And the reason that he knew that is because before, roughly about 80 years before, there had been a huge uprising, this battle between the Romans and the Jews, and the Romans took him out. And so every time there was a religious celebration, he knew that he had to be there To be the one that kept everything in control. Because as they described it, tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of Jews would pour into Jerusalem for the time of the celebration of the Passover. It's a time of remembering when going back into the book of Exodus, it's one of the greatest deliverances of God for his people. And they would get together to remember this sacred time. The Romans remembered the time of conflict. And so as they would get together, we have to be there to make sure that everything holds together in peace. We also remember, especially for the Jews, that it was a time of consecrating the defeat of an empire. Egypt. Egypt fell apart because of the delivering of God, of his people. So Pilate has to be in Jerusalem. And since the Romans had occupied the land by beating them 80 years before, they knew uprisings just always kind of popped up. So if Pilate's procession, do you kind of have this picture of it in your head just yet? A couple of thousand years ago today, if his procession was meant to show a strength of military might, Jesus' procession was meant to show the exact opposite. Both Matthew and Mark record Jesus' own words He instructs his disciples to go into the city and to find a donkey tied up. They're to ask the owner if they can use the donkey and just to tell the owner the Lord needs them. That is my Jedi mind trick moment in the gospels, by the way. Hey guys, go on in ahead of me and find this donkey for me. Well, what are we gonna say when we take this, not ours, just tell the owner that I need it for a little bit and we'll get it back. It reminds me of like Obi-Wan Kenobi when he's with a young Luke Skywalker. We're not the ones that you're looking for. You remember that moment? You're not the ones that we're looking for. We're going into the city. You're going into the city. It works kind of like that. But Jesus quotes Zechariah chapter nine, say to the daughter of Zion, see that your king is coming to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. But in quoting it, here's what he's saying it's happening it's happening jesus instructions they're clear the donkey has to be one that has never been ridden before have you ever wondered why that's the case and the reason is is because it's supposed to be set, set apart it's supposed to be consecrated for a specific use it's meant to be for the master's use and nobody's else's there's even a rabbinic tradition that no one should use the animal on which a king rides unless the king says it's okay So this is an unbroken animal. And Jesus gets on it and he walks in. All of this sets up Mark chapter 11. Are you with me so far? Here's the way it reads. In verse one, it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, like we just said. Now remember, something to keep in mind, Jesus and his disciples are on their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, right? And like thousands of other people that are coming with them." They've just passed through the ancient town of Jericho, where according to Mark chapter 10, Jesus heals a blind man named Bartimaeus on the way out of town. And Jericho, it's about 17 miles east of Jerusalem. The road ascends from Jericho over the Mount of Olives with an elevation of almost 2,600 feet. And you can imagine as they're starting to come up out of what looks like a desert, they look in and all of a sudden you can see Jerusalem for what it is and it's amazing you come out from basically dust and rock and you see this place that is lush this is what's happening you go from desert to green you come over a rise and there in front of you you see a place where there's supposed to be a celebration of something that God has done and so Jesus goes on in in chapter 11 verse 2 he says to them go to the village ahead of you just as you enter it you'll find a colt tied there which nobody has ridden untie it and bring it here and if they say what are you doing this for say the lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly they went found the colt out the side in the street tied it at a doorway and as they untied it some people standing there said what are you doing untying the colt and they answered as Jesus had told them and the people let them go and when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it he sat on it Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others were spreading branches that they had cut in the fields. And just so you know, they did this because this is what you would do for royalty. The road was dirty and the people would put the branches down. They'd put their cloaks down. It was supposed to symbolize a royal person is here. And this is what they said. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the kingdom the coming kingdom of our father david hosanna in the highest heaven so jesus verse 11 enters jerusalem went into the temple courts looks around everything but since it was already late he goes out to bethany with the 12 this is the triumphal entry of jesus that happened a couple of thousand years ago today on the one side, Pilate pouring in with military. On the other side, Jesus pouring in with disciples. You have it pictured in your head just yet. And as they scream out, Hosanna, this is the word that means, save us now. Save us now. Let me ask you this question. What are some things that you have asked God to save you from? What are some things? For some of us, it's, we've asked God to save us from financial difficulty. For some of us, we've asked God to save us from other things. Maybe some hardship. Just so you know, there were three feasts during the year and as the thousands and thousands of Jews would approach Jerusalem, they would sing these songs directly from the book of Psalms. In fact, this one comes from Psalm 118. They're coming into the city and they're singing and they're singing so that it would prepare their hearts for what they're about to experience as they observe the Passover. That's what it was meant for. It's a cry of desperation is what it is. Please save us. And I just wanna say this to you, friends. There, I don't know of another way that you can actually come to God except as a beggar. Can you think of another way that you can come to God? You know, when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, what is he? He Blessed are those that are poor in spirit for they will see God why is that is until you see your need you're not going to see him you have to know the need first and then you can see some things and these people are saying please do something please save us but save us from what and a lot of the Jews looking around as Pilate and his military comes marching into the city it's this save us from that save us from that it just wasn't what Jesus had in mind Because he saw that there was a deeper issue that had to be addressed. The Romans, granted, there was a lot of political mm between them. But the biggest issue was sin. That's what he came to defeat. So it's a cry of desperation. Did you notice what Jesus did? He enters the town and he goes straight to the temple court. He walks into the place where the worship of God was to be the most thick, so to speak. And he basically looks around and he's like, yep, this is my place. It's late at night. You can imagine that it's kind of empty. And he doesn't do anything crazy on the day of his triumphal entry. What does he do? He just walks into the temple. The people have been singing praises to him. He goes into the quiet place of worship, looks around, this is my place. All right, it's time to go. Because it was at that moment that the week, the, the moment of, of the, the suffering of Jesus had lay ahead of him. He says, it's time for that to start. He knew what was coming. So I want to ask this question for us this morning. All that said, about a king in the Old Testament, Solomon, Uh, about, about Jesus coming into the city. We can look at a passage like this in Mark chapter 11 and go, that's great. That's a lot of history, and thank you for that. And I know that you were taking copious notes. But so what? So what? And I wanna tell you so what this morning. I wanna tell you why it matters. And, And here's the first thing that I want you to really lock into your heart. How did the people see Jesus a couple of thousand years ago today? Hosanna in the highest. There has never been a better example of the worthlessness of human celebrity than Palm Sunday. Did everybody hear what I just said? There has never been a better example of the worthlessness of people praising you than Palm Sunday. Because the same people that were praising him on a Sunday were the same people that would crucify him days later. People's praise is only worth so much and what it is actually worth is not much at all. Same people, same week, different attitude. They went from praise to murder. So I hope that you can kind of first lock that in. If you're a person that is seeking the approval and the praise of people so that you can find your identity in something, find it in something else. Because people are fickle and they will turn on you when it serves their purposes to do so. Now I'm not saying don't love people. I'm saying be aware of people. The worthlessness of human celebrity is fully on display on Palm Sunday. Here's the second thing for Passover, you can imagine for a Jewish person, this was a time of both angst and anger. We wanna celebrate, we wanna celebrate what God did in the Exodus, but we have the Romans in the way. I, I, let me borrow an example on why this might connect to you. Um, can you imagine if the United States had been taken over by Russia? Can you imagine that for just a second? And then a holiday, let's call it, I don't know, the 4th of July comes around. How are you gonna feel on the 4th of July? that as you get together as people to have fireworks and a celebration of course you got to have your chili dogs and whatnots, right? Because that's what we do to celebrate the United States but we've been taken over by the Russians and the Russians are there on full display with their military while you're trying to celebrate something that is that meaningful to you that's how the Jews felt then. And that's why it was a dangerous time of social unrest Pilate on a war stallion as he walks in. Jesus on a donkey symbolizing peace. Pilate with his army, Jesus with his disciples. I mean, what are those guys gonna do? Pilate with his taxes and his empire. Jesus that says, I'm here to show you the kingdom of God. I'm here so that you can be healed in your soul and I'm here to give you new life. These two things were on a collision course in Jerusalem a couple of thousand years ago today. And this is why, just days later, Jesus would have a sign hanging over him that mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews. This is why. It's why they did it. And so, this morning, we have a choice. We have a choice. This Palm Sunday, while we celebrate the triumph of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, entering to the praise of children and adults, unmasking all pretenders to his throne and reminding us that he alone is the only king worth following, like Solomon, the real king. We have to ask ourselves this question. What good does it do you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Because every single person in this space, just like every single person a couple of thousand years ago, were making decisions on where they were going to align their loyalty every single person and when we have baptisms like we're about to have a lot of them next sunday and that's going to be an amazing thing to celebrate you are declaring a new loyalty to a new king when you die to an old way of life and you are raised up i am someone new and i have a new king this is what it reminds us of today is that we have a choice that we have to make and the choice couldn't be more stark am i going to go with the world and be loyal to it Or am I going to go with Christ? Am I going to go with money and wealth and power and find myself in that? Or am I going to go with Jesus? Am I going to go with a person that is going to try to offer me a position and and some established authority? Or am I going to be like Christ who comes in trying to usher in a new kingdom that says that the world has got to change? It's a matter of choice that we make. And the decision all begins with how you look at him. Because we're reminded of this in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says this promise, yet all who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God for those who received him. So the question that we have this morning as we begin Holy Week is, where is your loyalty? It's not a matter of do you have it. It's not a matter of are you serving someone because you are. The question is, is is it time for your loyalty to change? Because Jesus is offering you something completely different than the world has on tap for you. He's offering you nothing short of participating fully with him one day when the end of your life comes and he says, come on in, just a little deeper, come on in. That's something that he is offering us today. Something that when I was 11 years old, I said, that's for me, that's for me. See, I came to this realization, not just that the world was broken. All you gotta do is look around and take, all you gotta do is look around, right? The world is broken. The question is, is what solution is there to the brokenness that we already see in the world? And the answer to that is for God to descend into this space And to do the hard work of starting to put it back together. And it begins with putting the heart back together. So for me, it wasn't just a matter of saying, this place is a mess. It was this realization, and I've had my part in breaking it myself. And the only thing that I knew to do at that was to say, can you forgive me? That's it. That's all I had. Was to trust that his grace was enough and that he would honor his word that if I called out to him, He would forgive, and he did. And more than that, to give me the Holy Spirit that gives me new life, new power, new possibility. And Jesus has done all of that and more. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.